Okay, so tonight we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And as we come to chapter 22, the first verse of chapter 22, David, it says that this is the song of David when the Lord delivered him from all of his enemies, including Saul. And so this is a song of David that pretty much takes up the entire chapter, and it's a praise to God for his deliverance over his life. Which is interesting, considering like how much David went through, and depending on how you frame David's life, one could say, did God really deliver him? Because he sure went through a lot of stuff, but through the eyes of faith and the way he would see it, of course God brought him through everything, all of his hardships, all of his heartaches, all of his mistakes, God was over it. It is also almost identical to Psalm 18. So in the first book of Psalms, when David was, the first, hundred, the first 41 Psalms are written by David, and you'll see in Psalm 18, it almost matches up identically to this, this one here, the same song. So we get it, you know, you get the double. It's in the Bible twice, basically, for a good reason. But again, the context of 22.1 is that this is what David spoke to the Lord when the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of his enemies. And so he had enemies early on. He had enemies later on. And the Lord delivered him from, from them all. So we can say like one of these songs that we might sing from a long time ago, like Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord, that's from the late 90s. We could sing that tonight. It meant something in 99 when we were singing it before Y2K. It means something else in 2022 when we're singing it uh, post-COVID or what we're, whatever it is we're still in right now. All right? So with that background, as he poured out his heart and sang this song to the Lord, he was just really, like he was just throwing, he was like, freestyling almost like he was just throwing this stuff out that was really strong and powerful about how the Lord is over everything and as he came in sort of like the middle of this in uh, right about 29 verse 29 30 he says something very profound in verse 31 after saying that the Lord was his lamp that the Lord enlightened his darkness that he could run against a troop he could leap over a wall I mean he's just superman with the Lord in his life and then he says in verse 31 As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. So as for God. See, we all know here tonight, gathered as a church, there's only two worldviews to live your life by. One, with the fear of the Lord, that God made everything, creator, sustainer of all things. He's Lord of the universe, created with design and order. He's the creator. He sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, to rise from the grave for our hope and justification. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is coming again in glory. That is a biblical worldview where God is the center of the universe. And, of course, we're told that all things are made by Christ and for Christ, and him all things are sustained and held together. So this is the right worldview, WG. So, yeah, thumbs up. We have the right worldview. That is the worldview, and we're told in this worldview— when we give our lives to Christ, he becomes the author and finisher of our faith. So this worldview, this biblical worldview, is, comes, it begins with receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, being born of the Spirit, and being transformed from glory to glory until the journey's done. He's the author, Jesus, and the finisher of our faith. But there's another worldview, and that's the godless worldview. That's the worldview of all the human philosophies that are opposed to Jesus Christ, which does include world religions. Because the world religions are in opposition to Jesus Christ. So while there's many, while there are some truths in some world religions, principles of how you treat your neighbor, things like that, they're there. They're not exclusive to Christianity as to how you might treat people. 
Christianity is unique in that we're, we're the only world faith by which we're saved through faith. Where we're not earning our salvation, but we receive our salvation. So that is distinct, right? So the, the biblical worldview is very distinct, right? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That is very exclusive. But again, we know it's inclusive because as many as come to him or as receive him, he gives them the right to become the children of God. So it's inclusive. And we're the church and we are under these blessings and we represent these truths. But the alternative is, is not as for God, as for man. As for man, he comes up with gods of his own doing. So angry men have angry gods. Violent men have violent gods. Sensual men have sensual gods. And so on and so forth. Monkey men have monkey gods. Darwinism. Or tagpole gods, really. So, it's Christ, the center of the universe, that worldview, or everything opposed to Christ, which ultimately, we're told, comes under Satan. For we're told the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We know that when Adam and Eve sinned, that they forfeited the rights of the planet and the stewardship of the planet to Satan. Thus, Satan is called the God, little g, of this age, the prince of the power of the air. The spirit of disobedience now works in the sons and daughters of disobedience. And we don't wrestle against human governments, per se, or people next door. We wrestle against principalities and powers, spiritual forces that are organized, coming and working in our dimension from a different dimension. So there really is just, is as for God, his worldview, what he has for you and me, for his church and humanity on planet Earth. And as for man, again, so we can put Karl Marx, um, Communist Manifesto, all that kind of stuff, and all the different philosophies of men, the, the Greek philosophies, and we just put them all there and just say, as for men, this is what men see. And when you talk to men and women who have these worldviews, you go like, how can you even live like that? Like, how's that, like, how's that? It's so hopeless and so uncertain. Whereas our worldview, as for God, is full of hope and assurance because we know that the Spirit affirms our spirit that we belong to the Lord, and these things are true. So when we're born of the Spirit, we have the affirmation of the Spirit that we belong to the Lord, and we're told that we're sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. I really feel sorry for the lost world. But the world's going to be the world in every generation, and the church is going to be the church in every generation until the king comes back for his bride, which he's going to do. So as we have that background and we think about as for God, I would like to contrast that for as for man. Because 80 years of living is testing, trials, tribulations, and tragedy, as we talk about. It rains on the just and the unjust. And how people can go through 80 years of the human experience without faith in Jesus Christ is just beyond me. Because as I said many times, a bad day with Jesus is better than the best day without him. But they do. But tonight we want to focus on the positive of as for God as it applies to the church. For me personally, when I read this in Psalm 18 in 1987, this was one of the first promises I really laid hold of in my life. I actually highlighted it in my Schofield Bible, and it became a verse that I quoted a lot of times in the first year I was walking with the Lord. I would tell people, you know, God's way is perfect. Oh, his word's proven. Oh, he's a shield. He'll protect you. And I was coming from this verse, but from the Psalm 18 version of it. But it's the exact same as it is in Psalm 18. So as for God, his way is perfect. Let's think about tonight as a church of Jesus Christ. And let's be reminded of the promises of God that when we're in Christ, as for God applies to us. It applies to us. His way is perfect. Isn't that nice to know? 
worship generation, for your personal life, for your marriage if you're married, for your parenting if your kids are small or grown up, for being a grandparent. When you look at your grandkids and you realize, you know, they'll finish this journey when I'm long gone. I mean, ideally, that would be the normal flow of things. And I don't get unsettled when I think, like, what's it going to be like for my grandkids when they're 25 and I'm gone or something? I say, yes, for God, his way is perfect. He sustained me, he'll sustain them. And an uncertain future, Jesus Christ and the word of God and his promises are always going to be certainty and a hope that's an anchor to the soul. His way is perfect. And so I want to remind us tonight, as we are living by faith, because the last thing says, he is a shield to all who trust in him. So trust in him really is the key to this thought in this one verse here. But as for God, his way is perfect. Now, when we read the word perfect in the New Testament, it implies mature. That as many of you are of a, you know, a perfect mind, have this mind. The idea is that mature, or it's complete. Even in Hebrews, it talks about Jesus being perfected. That Greek word really implies the idea, not that he's being made perfect from imperfection, but he's being completed in what he came to do as the Savior. Not so here. This Hebrew word perfect means perfect. Or as he would say, without blemish, right? Sin is to miss the mark. We've heard that for years, even decades for some of us. Perfect is to be without blemish. God is holy. God is light in him. There's no darkness at all. God is perfect. Morally. In his universe, in the multi-dimensions that make up his universe, his character, his actions are perfect. So we read like, it's impossible for God to lie. He won't lie. He would never lie. In a self-determined universe where human beings creating his image can make choices, good or bad, in his perfection, it's like a giant chessboard where he negates all the bad decisions when it's all said and done in the next dimension. Or whatever causes you heartache and sorrow and grief in this life, you won't even remember in the next dimension. So don't get too riled up over it. He's perfect. His way is perfect. His way is to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ, which is why we're gathered here tonight and singing these songs with Danny Donnelly leading us in worship or Scott Cunningham coming up this week. Our songs are Christ-centered. The focus of our hymns, our, our praise songs, our choruses are Christ-centered because we're worshiping him who is perfect. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we could become the righteousness of God. So he's the perfect life. Jesus is the perfect man walking on earth. He never sinned. He's the perfect teacher. He lived the perfect life, and he's the perfect Savior to die in our place. Everything about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ is perfect, flawless. There's no blemish in the life of Jesus. The more we hang out with each other, we'd know our blemishes pretty quick. <laughs> you live in the same neighborhood, you're going to find, you have your blemishes. They're going to be there. Oh, they're grumpy today. Oh, that's a bad day in the neighborhood, right? Like Jesus in Nazareth and throughout Jerusalem and Galilee and all that he did, there's nowhere he ever went that you could come against him as a blemish. He was perfect. He's the perfect savior. He's also the perfect creator. God's way is perfect. When you look at Genesis 1 and 2, the universe is perfect. Everything is perfect. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. Adam and Eve had a role and a purpose as he created beings, created in his image. She's the perfect woman, naked and unashamed. He's the perfect man, naked and unashamed. And they were superhumans, and there was no flaw. They were without blemish. That's an amazing thought right now. And all of humanity was within their DNA to be reproduced as they had offspring. They just never had perfect offspring. 
the fall came before that. And so the imperfection and all the mutated forms of what goes wrong with us mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically were passed on physically and spiritually because in Adam all sin and die. So when they sinned, Adam and Eve died. It took a long time, but the long game with God always plays out. And we died too. But Christ died so to have victory over our spiritual death and make us alive. Christ died to have victory over our physical death and raise us from the grave. And Christ were risen. And as he is the first fruits, we too will be glorified like him in the same perfection he is in his glorified body. And to have the eternal life with, with God in the next dimension where there's no more tears and no more sorrows. That's perfection. So the universe was created with perfection. As for God, his way is perfect. Everything was perfect. There's no, there's no animals eating other animals. There's no mutated animals. There's, there's just... It's a happy-go-lucky vegan world. Truly. That's what God made. Trillions of galaxies. Everything is perfect. Perfect. God's not an almost-perfect creator. See, since... The concepts of Darwinism, as for man and Darwinism, their idea is that somehow God is demented and that through mutated struggles and all these things, that there's this upward movement from a rock becoming alive to becoming a tadpole, to becoming a monkey, to becoming you, which is just almost as insane as thinking men get pregnant. But, you know, if you check out your brain at the door of common sense, let alone biblical worldview, you're headed for a slippery slope where it can take you. But there's perfection in design and order. There was no error. And what's so profound about this, in the, even the uh, micro world of cells and molecular structure, no error before sin. No viruses, just healthy cells. We've all seen the little red ball for COVID, little spikes on it and everything, right? It looks kind of ugly. Like, oh, there it is, the COVID virus. Most of you by now have had COVID. Maybe if you haven't. I spoke to someone in my neighborhood just last week that has not yet had COVID. I was like, well, He's a smoker, too, so go figure, right? Because they have the studies that have shown that smokers are less inclined to get COVID. I, I read all about that. Like, it's so weird. I'm like, hmm, just add it to everything else in 2022. But that little virus ball is like, oh, it's ugly. And Mr. Foster, Jeremy Foster, who's the associate pastor here for years, is a brilliant mind. Of course, the, I mean, the Fosters are all brilliant. Danny's like a nuclear scientist telling nuclear sub commanders how their subs work for the Navy. Hmm. And he's like 22 or 23. Emily's like flies airplanes at 17 and she's at Air Force Academy. So let's just say they're a really smart family. Jeremy's extremely intelligent. He taught biology for years at Calvary Schools in seventh grade. Occasionally, I would have a conversation with Jeremy for the seven years he was full-time as an associate pastor about different things like science. I'm like, well, you know, I'm the guy that didn't. My idea of science is like offshore winds and a combo swell, a tamarack. That's surf talk for saying all the sciences are working together for good for surfing right now. His is like the thinking man science. And what always amazed me, this one conversation we had, I'll never forget it, is explaining to me healthy cells and bad cells. What healthy cells look like and cancerous cells. And he began to pull stuff up on Google and he began to show me viruses. Like, look at this virus. Look at that virus. I'm like, oh my goodness, they're all so ugly. He's like, yeah. He goes, that's sin. Those things didn't exist before sin. 
All you and I had was a healthy body before sin. In Adam, ladies, Eve was your perfect woman, and you come from her. And she didn't have one bad cell in her body. And men, you come from Adam, and we did not have one bad cell. We're in his loins, and there was no bad cell. There was no virus. And all the animals doing everything they did in their happy little vegan world, there wasn't any bad cells. And the entire universe, whatever goes out there in time, space, and matter, it was all in order without any dysfunction whatsoever. But see, for the Darwinists, they say, well, as for man and his monkey worldview, it's all chaos. It's all by accident. And again, you know, not to focus on this, but we understand how it justifies murdering hundreds of millions, and I do mean hundreds of millions of innocent people, with the uh, Karl Marx's worldviews, Communist Manifesto, and these types of things, not to mention Hitler and what he did, but even the Soviets and the tens of thousands that Stalin killed, because God in their world is Mother Russia. It's the hammer and sickle. It's the work of men and the harvest of the earth, Mother Russia. And that's how they think in the Soviet Union. That's how they thought. And to some degree, they, some still think that way. Having been there, I can say that. Their government was their God. Their government was their God. Devoid of God. And thus, Stalin can kill 50 million people, including Gorbachev's grandparents, who are Ukrainian. And of course, the great irony for me with Russia is that all four of Gorbachev's grandparents, who are Ukrainian, died in gulags, prison camps of Russia. Forty years later, he's educated in Moscow, becomes the brightest man in all of Russia as a Ukrainian, and overthrows the Soviet Union. Gorbachev. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Just proof that God catches the wise in own craftiness, and the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men, and the wisdom of God is wiser than the, the foolishness of God is wiser, stronger, wiser than the wisdom of men. Yeah, don't, we, don't worry about anything. God's playing the long game. As for God, his way is perfect. See, that's such an imperfect worldview. So when these governments and these people and these philosophies get boxed in by their worldviews, and what do we do? Our real estate's collapsing, China. Our currency's collapsing, quite a few countries. We can't get energy, Europe. We've sanctioned the Russians, but now we've shot ourselves in the foot, Europe. And so on and so forth. Like, this is, the, this is as for men, they're trying to figure it out in the wisdom of men, and it's folly. But we don't have that. We're the church. As for God, his way is perfect. So our creator who made everything perfect, we know whatever he does, it's perfect without blemish. This universe that we see still has a remnant of that perfection. But alas, we do see those little spiky viruses, don't we? But that's not what God made. And by the way, it's blasphemous. Let me say that again. It is blasphemous for anyone who confesses Christ to put that on Jesus. Adam is the author of death, not God. So don't make God some strange, twisted mind with mutated things, with Cro-Magnum men, through the process of death, 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 and mutation. That is the farthest thing from the nature and the character and the revelation of God to us from himself to his church. So forget that. That's for demented men who kill innocent people and take, 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 and justify. But as for God, his way is perfect. So we know we live in an imperfect world where things go wrong. People we love die. Things happen. Our animals die a slow, agonizing death. It's hard to watch. Just things happen that are difficult, that happen in life. People are cruel and malicious and selfish and narcissistic. This is the world we live in, but that's not on God. So when we come to Christ, that's for God, his way is perfect. We know that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are completely saved by faith. That's a perfect way. It is not a it's not maybe a perfect way like 99.9. 9. 
We're reminded tonight in this text that the way of the cross is 100% perfect, without blemish, to save you and me to the uttermost. And when we come and bow the knee at the foot of Jesus at the cross and receive Christ as Lord and Savior, we are saved. Saved past, present, future. Saved for all the dimensions. And we're sealed by the Holy Spirit under the blood. And it's perfect. We have a perfect, complete salvation through our faith in Jesus Christ. We're not coming here hoping as we sing these songs, some new man or woman will rise to lead us to the promised land where it saves all the economic world that we know and solves all of our health care issues and our ecosystem issues. <laughs> We're singing songs to the one who has perfectly, who is perfect, has perfectly saved us, and has a perfect plan for our life. As for God, his way is perfect. See, this is the part of the verse that really spoke to me in 1987. Because in 1987, God was calling me to let go of all these things in my life. My sinful life, friends, all these things that I knew. Just let it go. The whole identity I built for 26 years, God was saying, let it go. All of it. And I'm like, well, I mean, that's, a, that's big. You know, like, this is all I know. This is my identity. And by the way, of course, this is why it's so hard for people to get saved as they get older. Because the older you get, you have your identity at 40, 50, 60, 70. So who wants to change your identity and admit they lived 70 years of their life wrong when they were young and strong and admit in their deathbed that they were wrong and the whole life was wrong and it was all a lie and be like the thief on the cross. It is availed to us, but rarely is it responded by us. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association in their materials point out that the vast majority of people that ever get saved get saved in their teen years. The numbers are astronomically high, and they just go way down. Not that elderly people can't be saved. They can. But think how hard it is to get you and me to admit we're wrong, and we walk with Jesus at 61. Think how hard it is for you and me to say we're wrong at 61. We're like worse than Fonzie. I was... Like, it takes me days to say I was wrong. And I know I'm wrong. And I've got Jesus helping me. How much harder for those that have hardened their hearts against the Lord for 60, 70 years and supported everything evil against his kingdom that is good, perfect, true, light, holiness, and praiseworthy and honorable. No, the world does not trust in God in his perfect way, but the church does. So we're reminded tonight, like David, the foreshadow of Christ, like David, the man after God's own heart, the woman after God's own heart that we can all look to, we're reminded that we, as a people of faith who trust in God, can know that God's way is perfect. For his universe he made was perfect. The first two chapters of Genesis, the dimension we're going to is perfect. The last two chapters of Revelation, 21 and 22. His plan of redemption between Genesis 3 and Revelation 20, perfect. For 6,000 years so far of human history. It's perfect. His foreshadows and types of salvation with Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. All the, uh, the Passover lamb and all these things. Unleavened bread. Perfect, 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 perfect. To bring us right to Jesus on Golgotha. And the place of the skull. The same place where Abraham took Isaac 2,000 years before. It's all perfect. The redemption plan. And from the, dawn of creation, from the dawn of the church with the book of Acts, perfect, 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 perfect. Peter, the fisherman who denied him three times, preaching like no one's business on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people getting saved. And all the ups and downs of 28 chapters of the book of Acts, plus 2,000 years of church history, we see the beauty of it all. When we really look at God's handiwork and the beauty of what he does, it's perfect what he's doing in his church. Which, for each one of us individually, we need to be reminded that we can trust God with this perfect plan in our life. So whether I saw, I saw a new for sale sign in my neighborhood today. Man's not perfect. 
We have plans. We trust people. It goes well. We trust people. It doesn't go well. God's way is perfect. So whether you're selling your house and moving to Texas or Florida or Idaho or anywhere else in between, we can trust him to lead us in his perfect plan. Or we're saying, you stay here. Because, you know, if everyone starts selling your houses, you ever get that panic attack? I don't know why, but when I saw the house, I'm like, oh, another person leaving California? I'm not leaving California. And we're definitely not selling real estate on Eden Beach. And it's got an ebb and flow. We're like the Chinese. We're playing the long game. Or more importantly, we're like Jesus. We're playing the long game. Still, though, you think that, right? Think how many people we watch come and go. Everyone that's coming to me and said they're leaving, I've supported them and encouraged them and loved on them. Thinking about Pastor Alex today, like what a brilliant call it was for them to move to Texas. And he's done a better job doing our radio edits and all of our podcasts than he did here. Not to take away from the job he did do here because he did a great job, but he hasn't, he hasn't missed one beat since he moved away. And what he works independently for us, for all the stuff that you hear on K-Wave podcast, it's all Alex. He's still connected. We keep in touch. We talk. It's cool. But he was called to leave California. See, when we're deciding relationships, when we're deciding careers, when we're, just, when we're going through divorce and heartache and we're burying people we love and all these things, we can trust that God's way is perfect for our life, that he, will, he truly, for the follower, will cause all things to work together for good and take us forward in that goodness, that there'll be, like it says again in the book of James, the, what the end that the Lord intended for Job when his life was restored, to, all the things were restored to him, that the end that was intended by the Lord was good. We can trust that plan because it is good. And Romans 8.28 was another one of the first verses I memorized in the Bible because I thought, well, this means no matter what goes wrong, God can turn it around for good. I, I've believed that for 35 years, 36 years. Do you believe that, worship generation? Because you've seen a difficult day. We've all seen a difficult day. And the longer we live, the more, out we're gonna, more likely we'll see more difficult days. So we, we have this firm foundation as for God per, versus as for man, because man's way is not perfect, but God's way is perfect. Creation, salvation, his personal call in our life. We can trust him when he says, let go of pro-surfing, go in the ministry. Receive the invitation of Brian Broderson, become a pastor. Oh, wow. That's pretty crazy. And now it's been 35 years. And by the way, let me say, because some of you are near the end of your career, some of you are semi-retired, some of you may be beginning a second career. Let me tell you something. It's a really good feeling to be approaching my 62nd birthday having been a pastor for 35 years. That was a really good decision to obey the call of God in my life because I wasn't so sure I'd do it. And the first year of ministry, I was trying to figure out how to get out of ministry (laughs) because, you know, I thought it is a bait and switch right here. And now that I'm 61 and going to be 62, 35 years of ministry, 35 years of marriage, all early part of next year. And, you know, when you're 61, you can't go redo it, right? Come on now. There's younger people here, older people, right? You can't go redo it. You are who you are, and you did what you did. Now, you still have a little window of how you want to finish the fourth quarter, but still, God's way is perfect. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you desires of your heart. Seek the Lord in all things, and he will direct your path. That's what we're called to do. And we can't live on... We can't drink the water from old cisterns, as it says in the book of Jeremiah, water from blue 55-gallon tanks in my backyard, but we're called to drink the living water every day with the Lord. We're not living in the past with the Lord. We're going forward in the present with the Lord. His manna was never meant to be put in a jar and saved for tomorrow like leftovers. The manna is today, and the plan is today. 
So we got to know that God's way is perfect. And if you feel like you look at your life like it hasn't been so perfect, know this, the story's not done. When we stand before the Lord and we look back at our life, and we will stand before the Lord and we will look back at our life, we'll know that everything he did and we allowed him to do was perfect. Without blemish, spotless, perfect, reflective of universal wisdom that only God alone, who's the center of the universe, Lord of the universe, holding it together, who gave us a son, he alone is that perfection. And we'll see whatever we submitted to and obeyed him in and allowed his life it was, in our life through his spirit was perfect. The willingness to move here, the willingness to let go of that there, the willingness to cry and surrender this to the Lord, the willingness to go after this. And who even knows what it means? But we went for it. God's way is perfect. And sometimes you walk away from something, you go like, I don't even know what that was all about, like us in Vermont. Still, though, I grew more that year than any other year in my walk with the Lord. It was a good thing. We need to believe as an anger to our heart and soul, our very being as a woman, as a man, that we need to trust God that his way is perfect. And whatever he wants to do in our personal life, because it's perfect in creation, it's perfect in redemption, it's, it's, it's perfect in his plan for humanity overall in the ages and the dimension, and it is perfect for you and I because Jesus says he knows the hairs on our head. So we seek him every day, we acknowledge him, we delight ourselves in him, and we let him guide every aspect of our life. And we trust that whether it's going the way we think it should or the storms of life are going against us, we've built our house on a rock and his way is perfect and it will be perfect. And I've struggled with different things in 35 years with Jesus, but I've never struggled with believing that his plan is perfect. So I'm grateful for that. Because I've seen some people just give up on the Lord because like, nah, his plan's not a good plan. I'm like, well, I'm an idiot, but I know his plan's a good plan. We also see that his word is proven. And we're reminded tonight as a church family that his word is proven. In Isaiah, God said that he tells us the future before it happens. Isaiah 54 is like, there's no, I'm a rock, there's no rock like me. I'm a God who's a rock, there's no other rock. And he says, you put me to the test, I tell you things before they happen, and they happen. And we know his word is proven, and we know even in David's life. So David had a journey, and at the end of his life, he said his way is, God's way is perfect. He, he could declare that with all that he went through. And then here, he says that his word is proven. And David had trusted in God's word, the law of God, because he talks about the law of God in his Psalms and so on and so forth. But he always believed in God's word, and it was proven. Think about this. He's a teenager, and Samuel anoints his head with oil when he's like 17 and says, you're going to be the future king. It doesn't say this in the Bible, but I think it's reasonable to conclude it. When you charge a giant, you're probably more confident if, the, if the, the greatest prophet of the last 300 years came to your house and poured oil over your head and said, you're going to be the king. Like, that's faith. That's not a foolish faith. Like, God anointed him to be king, and in his mind, that whole battle with Goliath in the valley in 1 Samuel 17 had nothing to do with him against Goliath. It was like serving the Lord and doing what's right for the Lord and stepping up as a leader for the Lord and going out and doing it. And he got it done. David was a great man of faith, and he, he applied God's word. He trusted God's word. And was even probably even more impressive is he received reproof from it. How about when Nathan the prophet said, Thou art the man, and David said, You're right. Isn't it nice that when... As disappointed as it is to see some of the things we've seen with David in 2 Samuel, isn't it nice that when he's reproved for his sin, he didn't make any excuses, he didn't blame Bathsheba, he didn't blame Uriah, he didn't blame this, that, the Edomites, anything else like we so often do, he said, I'm guilty. 
that might be his best moment. Because if you and I and our shortcomings can receive before the Lord our guilt and confess our sins, then we're going to be healed and we can go forward. That's where the word really comes in. Because we're told in 2 Timothy that the word of God is, is inspired by God. That it's inspired word. And it's profitable for instruction, training, and what? Correction and reproof. So for all the times we read the Bible, we're like, oh, God's way is perfect. Yes, you know, by my God, I can jump over a wall. Then the Bible's like, hey, if you did this, you need to make it right. You're like, oh, didn't see that coming this morning. And that's where we want to receive it. God's word is proven. God's word, so David, when when the prophet comes to his house and anoints him to be king at 17, he never picked up the javelin and threw it back at Saul. He came through it all, and he was established as king. When he failed as a king and another prophet came and reproved him, he received it. He received the word of God. And so he says at the end of his life, the word of the Lord is proven. And isn't it? I mean, of all things I can say at 61, make no mistake, the word of the Lord is proven. We know that. The word of the Lord is proven. If you sow to the spirit, you will reap life. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. Galatians chapter 6. Like, it's so proven Gravity is proven. Science, the physical sciences that are our sciences, they're absolute. And so is God's word. It is proven. The promises are absolute. God says, put me to the test on tithing, and I'll pour out the heavens upon you. So bountifully, you reap bountifully. Either you believe it and you apply it or you don't. But he certainly doesn't change. Like, he says it's so. And the moment we became way more generous, and this is a very generous church. In fact, it's insane what we're, what, how generous this church is. But I'm using this as a context from my life. But when I decided I was going to really, Jennifer and I agree that we're going to crank up what we're doing in sowing, well, we've been sowing and growing. See, the word of the Lord is proven. I'm reminded of that tonight. Because right now, we could walk out these doors and look at news and look at news releases and look at something like, how is God's words proven? Because it would seem that, like, the wicked, like, you could question if God's word is being established. But his, his word is established. Again, it's a long game. God's word will prove itself over the entire existence of the human experience. And it will be proven true and correct. We are not going to step into eternity and find that anything in his word was less than complete and perfect for every good work that God has for our life. We're going to be like Billy Graham when we believe. The Bible says, and once we come to that conclusion, and that's the authority of our life, we are going to be fruitful from here to eternity. And, you know, when we're old and very old, let the word be our foundation. And let it just be everything that we believe in and stand on. You know, when I go in and minister to people who are dying, which I do, when they're people of faith, it's just so wonderful. They're like, Jesus is coming. And I'm like, I'm not like putting on some like performance like a mime at Disneyland or, you know, Knott's Berry Farm or something. I'm a spirit-filled man with the truth. And when I'm telling believers, Jesus is coming. He's coming to this room. He's coming to receive you in glory. He's going to call you like Stephen in the book of Acts, and you're going to be transformed from glory to glory, and he's going to bring you through the shadow of death, and he's coming for you, and you're going to glory, and you'll forget everything that ever was wrong in this life, and you'll be where there's no more tears and sorrows. You'll be in glory in a whole other dimension with Jesus. And I, I've seen people go like, like that. And I know what I'm speaking is true. But as for man, what I'm going to say, 
Well, it's all over here. Survival of the fittest. It's not even worth addressing. As for God, his way, his way is perfect and his word is proven. And where we see, I haven't said this for a while, but this is the beauty of God's word. Our greatest act of faith in life is our last day. Because on the last day, we transcend this dimension. And all that we've believed, and all that we sacrificed, and all that we let go of, and all that we forgave, and all that we sowed, and all these things, whatever happened, all the injustices, however it played out, on that last day, God has reserved that we all must face the grave. We must face the grim reaper. All of us. And on that last day, when I face the grim reaper, I'm going to put every promise of God's word between me and him, and I'm going to go right through him like an evil ghost that he is. And I'm going to go right through him to my Lord and Savior, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. No one takes it from him. He has power to lay it down and raise it up. And he's coming for us, and he's coming in glory. And Stephen said, I see him standing at the right hand of the Father right now while he was facing the grim reaper. And that's what's going to happen for all of us in faith. And that's our greatest act of faith. Because I'm believing God to come for you and for me in glory. When I said goodbye to Christy Estes just six months ago before she stepped into eternity, and many of you loved her and knew her, she was in so much physical pain the day I saw her. Oh, it was worst pain than I ever had with my bad back, which was an eight. She's in so much pain. And I just told her, he's coming for you in glory. And there's a few things we talked about with no one else in the room, which is between me, her, and the king. But I said, oh, he's coming. You're right there. You're right there. He's coming for you, Christy. She sat here for 10 years and trusted me to teach the entire Bible. And I did. And I was there, and I said, he's coming. And he's coming for you. And you're going to glory. And this wheelchair and all this stuff you live with, that'll have nothing to do with where you're going. See, the word of the Lord is proven. And that's truth. Then we read, finally, that he's a shield to all who trust in him. This is an interesting phrase. He's a shield to all those who trust in him. So we have perfection and proven, and we might say the shield is protection. So if you want to use three Ps, we can say that. Perfection, proven, and protection. He's a shield. A shield is a defensive weapon that protects us, and it matches up with the New Testament church because we're told to, having done all, stand. So we stand and hold fast to faith. We declare the faith. We are only really identified with spiritual swords in the Bible, the Word of God, which we just covered. But he's a shield, which means he's protecting us. But... When you think about him protecting us, there's times you go like, well, how's that work? Because in the book of Acts, James was imprisoned, and Herod killed him. Then Peter was imprisoned, and the angels released him. And you're like, oh, how's that work? James gets, James gets executed, and Peter gets released. And you can start from there, and you just go forward. How many times in your own life you might say, well, I'm not sure God was a shield. I mean... If you want to frame things in unbelief, you would have no problem. Just invite the devil over, and he'll help you frame everything in your life in unbelief that where you feel like, you know, he can help you build a case that you weren't protected and you weren't covered by his shield. So if you want to do that, you can do it. Obviously, you're not here to do that, so don't. But I just put that out there because that's what people can do. How many people reject the Lord and say, where was God when my dad died? I had someone say that to me. In Vermont. 
We moved here from New Jersey. My dad died the first week I was here. Where was God when that happened? As if I'm master of the universe, a trillion galaxies. Same place, a woman said to me, you explain to me Cro-Magnon man in room service, dropping off dirty dishes. <laughs> what? <laughs> See, as for man, they, they want to blame God and accuse God for not protecting him or not doing what they thought he should have done. But we, might, we could simply say, like, well, did you ever thank him for all the blessings? Did you thank him when he blessed you, or are you just cursing him when you think things didn't go the way you think he should have done things for you? What obligation does God have to do anything for you? Jesus said we should, we should just say we do what we were called to do, and we're worthless servants. I don't have a problem with that. Some people do. I don't. I'm glad to be saved by grace, and I know you are too. He's a shield to those who trust in him, but the key to understanding his protection over our life is to make sure we understand what we're protected from. Because history shows the church is not necessarily protected from evil governments. Darn. I was hoping that was in play. The book of Acts are not protected from evil governments. If you study church history, they're not protected from evil governments. In fact, humanity as a whole is not protected from evil governments. You watch all the World War II documentaries, you realize nobody's protected from evil governments. Oh, well, I'm looking for a cushy life and I want to be protected from evil governments. What if the government's doubling the amount of people who the tax collectors to come get you and they're giving them weapons and bullets and, and making them sign that they're willing to use force on the citizens? Well, what are you going to do? That's what other governments did. The brown shirts did that. The Gestapo. That's what Stalin's goons did. That's what Ahab did to Naboth to put him in front of a bad city council to lie against him so he could kill him and then take his vineyard. So when you're thinking protection and shield from the Lord, it is not from evil governments or even good governments, because the best governments still do things that are less in perfection. And it's not even necessarily completely to be protected, per se, from evil people, because evil people kill good people. It's like, wow, man, so how's this protection working? When, when you know, innocent people are killed by a drunk driver or someone going 100 miles an hour and they lose their family, like, how is that protection See, people ask pastors stuff like that. Maybe your relatives ask you things like that. I don't have all the answers. I only have the one that matters, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Like I mentioned Tuesday night, someone's like, well, I heard dogs don't go to heaven. I'm like, the Bible never says that. But I will tell you, people go to heaven who trust in Jesus. And when you get to heaven, there's no more tears and sorrow. So let's, let's kind of go from there. And God loves animals because he made all the original animals vegan. So I'm not going to tell you your dog is in heaven. I'm not going to tell you your dog's not going to be in heaven. The Bible honors men and women who take care of their animals. Proverbs says that. That's a good thing. And you can tell by people who take care of their animals are usually, people that are gentle with animals are generally better people. Demented people that are cruel to animals are usually demented and cruel to human beings. We've seen that. I mean, criminal law would reveal that. So what is it that God is a shield in our life for? What is it that God is truly protecting us from? The things that affect the next dimension. Our sin. We never have to surrender sin. 
If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. And since sin is self-destructive, can we agree as a church that what is better than being protected? No, no temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man. And God, who is faithful, will provide a way of escape with the temptation. Like, now that's protection. That in our self-destructive nature, because we know the spirit and the flesh, they war against each other. This glory is in earthen vessels. Isn't it nice to know that there's no sin that ever tempts us from here to eternity that we have to surrender to. Now, that right there, I got some heads bobbing right there. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh yeah. We are protected from the power of sin over our life because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So that means I can put yesterday behind me, yesterday's failures, and next week's fears behind me, and I can just enjoy this moment with Jesus Christ and the people I love. Yes and Amen. Also, his protection is from the devil. The devil is the one who hates us. He's an accuser of the brethren. He's, the, uh, he's a murderer and a liar. He's a father of lies. He's a destroyer. And we are protected from him. Isn't that beautiful to know? Like, no matter what can happen in our life, if it seems good, bad, or anything in between, in the human experience in time, space, and matter, the devil does not have power over you and me, our marriage, our kids, our grandkids, or, or the things we're praying over. We have the power over it. We fight the good fight with our spiritual weapons. They're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for tearing down strongholds. We have the power over the devil. And we're protected from the devil. So we need to live in fear of what the devil's doing on planet Earth. We live in victory of what Christ has already done and what he's doing in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And we're protected from the power of the grave. Oh, grave, where is your sting? Oh, Haiti, where is your mock? There is none, because Christ has crushed you. So even though we're not protected from evil government, evil neighbors, and random acts of evil that human beings perpetrate deliberately or unintentionally upon each other, we are protected from the things that really matter. Sin that destroys us, destroys our soul, destroys our life. The devil who would destroy us and destroy everything we love and the grave itself that taunts us and hangs over every human soul before we cross the dimension of eternity. It's good to be reminded tonight on this 13th of August that as for God, his way is perfect. His word is proven and he's a shield to all those who trust in him. And in the end, These promises that are yes and amen are for those who trust in him. And it comes back to eternity because the shield that is protection, the words that are the promise, and the the creation that's perfection, the salvation of redemption that's perfection, and the call in our life that's perfection, it is all moving toward eternity. And that's why we're told Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. We're just passing through here. This is so brief. The real prize, again, to be reminded tonight, is eternity, to be in glory. And that's all that matters. So for the people, as Jesus said, whose treasures are in heaven, whose people whose mind is set on the things above, as Paul the Apostle said, we're fine. Whose people who trust in our high priest who's ever intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father, as the book of Hebrews says, we're fine. And if it's our day, it's our day. And that's it. And if it's our day, David said the days were fashioned for me when as yet there was none of them, and they're all in your hands, Psalm 139. The key to this promise, as for God, his way is perfect, the word of the Lord is proven, he's a shield to all those who trust in him, is to have an eternal perspective in Jesus' name.